0: Shalom, I am Rabbi Michael Pont, and this is For the Love of Judaism, Episode 7. In this episode, I'm going to play a sermon that I gave on Rosh Hashanah that really meant a lot to me. Uh, It's a sermon that talks about resilience in the face of what might be one of the greatest challenges, a young man who goes blind. So listen and enjoy. In our prayers, we call Rosh Hashanah, the birthday of the world. Yet as nearly everyone on the planet battles with coronavirus, another verse from our liturgy seems more apt. Who shall live and who shall die? In Hebrew, mi'yichyeh u'miyamut. On this holy day, we continue to face this unprecedented challenge. I want to share with you a story of determination in the face of grave odds that I hope will inspire us at this difficult time. It is a New York story about an extraordinary man named Sanford Sandy Greenberg. Sandy grew up in Buffalo. He was president of his high school senior class, a good athlete, the prom king, among other accolades. He enrolled at Columbia University in the fall of 1958. And that first year, he met a student from Queens named Arthur Garfunkel. They became close friends, and Art decided that the two should room together for their sophomore year. Further, he initiated a pact. Should either find himself in trouble, the other will come to his rescue no matter what. Neither realized at the time how critical that vow would become. The summer after Sandy's second year, he was back in Buffalo pitching in a baseball game. His vision went blurry and he almost hit the batter. A local ophthalmologist prescribed daily drops But at the start of Sandy's junior year, his sight continued to deteriorate. While Art noticed immediately, Sandy thought it was just a nuisance that he would manage. During Kol Nidre services at the Jewish Theological Seminary a few blocks north, Sandy lost his vision completely and stumbled back to Columbia. Along with his mother, Sandy traveled to Detroit to meet with Dr. Saul Sugar, one of the nation's top eye surgeons. The doctor informed them that Sandy had glaucoma, and sadly, the drops made his condition much worse. The ophthalmologist in Buffalo made the wrong diagnosis. Well, son, Dr. Sugar said, you're going to be blind tomorrow. While Sandy blamed his hometown doctor, he also lamented his own youthful arrogance. Had he acted earlier, perhaps he would not be blind. At that moment on February 13th, 1961, Sandy felt that his life was ruined. The next day, lying in his hospital bed, Sandy made a deal with God. Get me out of this hole, and I'll do everything in my power to prevent others from going through grief like this in the future. While Sandy could not see in a physical sense, characters in the Torah readings for today and tomorrow suffered a kind of metaphorical blindness. After a heated family argument, Abraham and Sarah banished Abraham's concubine, Hagar, and their son, Yishmael. Mother and son wandered aimlessly. They ran out of provisions and they grew faint. Distraught, Hagar left Yishmael under a bush and she wept, unable to watch her child die. An angel spoke kindly to Hagar opened her eyes and she saw a well and she saved her son's life. So too Abraham thought God told him to sacrifice his other son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Holding the knife above Isaac's bound body, he heard an angel implore him to stop. The patriarch looked up and saw a ram and sacrificed it instead of his child both hagar and abraham were in stressful situations and both benefited from divine intervention the angels broadened the humans narrow vision revealing new problem-solving strategies after surgery sandy returned to buffalo and fell into a deep funk Like our biblical heroes, he too would benefit from a guardian angel. Art showed up at Sandy's house and pleaded with him to return to Columbia. True to their pact, Art assured Sandy that he would help him get to class, read to him, and recruit other readers. Sandy protested, asking how his friend would manage that, and his own busy schedule. But Art replied, we can figure it out. I think you're dodging the main question, whether or not you will return. Everything else would fall into place once you make that decision. Sandy thought about playing it safe and remaining in Buffalo, but safe from what? He realized that he must go back to school and complete his studies. He thought of what Herman Hesse wrote. God does not send us despair to kill us. He sends it to awaken us to a new life. In the Amidah prayer, we praise God as Mechaye HaMetim, the reviver of the dead. Perhaps Art was God's agent to remind Sandy He was still alive. Sandy felt reborn and would not allow his life to become a monument to tragedy. Along with art, Sandy recruited a small army of readers and he brought a huge tape recorder to lectures. He had to memorize virtually every sentence, something of which he didn't realize he was capable. Sandy learned so thoroughly that he can recall much of those lessons even today, ranging from the Iliad to quantum mechanics. His schedule was grueling. About four hours of sleep, a night, and no social life. But through it all, Arthur was always present and reliable. Again, like the biblical angels who appeared when humans needed them, Arthur would hold Sandy's elbow and guide him both on and off campus. Perhaps Arthur's greatest gift to Sandy was a quasi-abandonment. Once, they were in Midtown for an appointment, and afterward, Art said that he had to stay and sketch the Seagram Building for an assignment. But Sandy wanted to get back to Columbia, After arguing, Sandy decided to return on his own. As a scholarship student with little extra money, he felt that a cab was out of the question. He would need to find Grand Central Station, take the Crosstown Shuttle to Times Square, change to the Uptown Broadway train, and get off at 116th Street. Self doubt crept into Sandy's mind. What had he done? In explaining despair, the Torah teaches you shall grope at noon as a blind man gropes in the dark. Sandy worried that people would laugh or be annoyed or would simply ignore him. Arms outstretched, Sandy walked slowly like a mummy. And his fears about others were by and large unfounded. Most of the way people were kind and helped him on his quest. Including a friendly prostitute whose breast Sandy accidentally touched. Who remarked that he seemed like a nice boy. He knocked into people, benches, and briefcases so many times that his knees ached. He smashed his forehead into an iron beam, and it bled. He came close to falling in front of a moving train. But finally, he made it back to campus. Before he entered the iron gates of Columbia, a man stopped him. It was Arthur. He said, I knew you can do it, but I wanted to be sure that you knew you could do it. Ever the guardian angel, Art had been shadowing his friend the entire time and lied about the Seagram building assignment. At that moment, Sandy realized that his friends and family would never leave him and that he could conquer his fears. On that harrowing trip, Sandy summoned a courage that would propel him for the rest of his life. Borrowing from another biblical passage, When God called upon Moses to liberate the Israelites, Moses did not think he was up to the task. But God knew better. And indeed, God knows us better than we know ourselves. God sees our potential, even when we do not. Sandy graduated Phi Beta Kappa and married Sue, his high school sweetheart. Together, they went to Harvard, where Sandy earned a Ph.D. He studied at Oxford and served as a White House fellow. Sandy had multiple successful technology businesses and even invented the compressed speech machine that records texts in less time than ordinary speech. He even was able to help his guardian angel Arthur was in architecture school, and he hated it. He and his friend Paul wanted to pursue a music career, but they needed $400 to get started. That was the equivalent of $3,500 today, and it was almost all that Sandy and Sue had at the time. But Sandy gave Art the money, thinking it was the very least that he could do for his friend. So thanks in part to that gift we still enjoy the music of Simon and Garfunkel and that's why Sandy titled his book Hello Darkness My Old Friend and looking back on his life Sandy practiced the Jewish value hakarat hatov emphasizing the positive Sandy doesn't he can't judge people by their appearance As the adage goes, what is essential in a person is invisible to the eye. Sandy made deep friendships with his readers, other students, business colleagues, and more. He has a vivid imagination, which helps him see life from other people's perspectives. A sense of urgency propelled him to accomplish more than he might have otherwise. And citing Schopenhauer, who said, every man takes the limit of his own field of vision for the limits of the world, Sandy wrote, with no visual sensations to compete with and anchor my thoughts, I don't have the same sense of boundaries shared by people impaired with sight. The Zohar, a mystical commentary on the Torah, noted that the light created on day one of creation, could not have been optical because the sun and the moon and the stars were not created until day four. So what was it? The Zohar teaches that on the first day of creation, the light created was the light of consciousness, of awareness. Sandy is blind, but he lives a rich life in his mind. He wrote... Learning gives me a sensation of adding light to the darkness. It's only a metaphor. There are no actual flashes. But I do sometimes have a sense of a burst of light. Given all this, Sandy considers himself the luckiest man in the world. Sandy chose to shed his initial anger because he realized it was diminishing his divinity. Every day, he stands in front of a window, and he says, Shekhi to thank God for blessing him. Sandy never forgot the vow he uttered in that Detroit hospital to end blindness, which he called his Tikkun Olam moment. As chairman of the Wilmer Eye Institute of Johns Hopkins, as a member of the National Science Board, and in other positions, Sandy pushed for funding and research toward his goal. Perhaps most significantly, in October of 2012, he established the End Blindness by 2020 prize. A ceremony is scheduled for December 14th of this year, with $3 million to be awarded. Sandy believes that blindness, like other maladies, are subversions of God's intent. Indeed, our tradition teaches that the process of creation did not end after six days, but rather it is ongoing, and we must partner with God to complete it. Sandy's tikkun olam, repairing the world, is in this spirit. On New Year's Eve of the year 2000, I was honored to officiate at Paul Greenberg's wedding, Sandy and Sue's son. I taught an introduction to Judaism class, and Paul and his fiancée Jessica were among the students. Of course, Art was there, and he sang during the ceremony and performed Bridge Over Troubled Waters for the couple's first dance. I met Sandy briefly that night, but I didn't know his story then. Reading his memoir now, 20 years later, is truly inspiring. Sandy Greenberg embodies the words of the psalmist. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright. He could not see in a conventional sense. His life is full of light. May his example inspire us, especially at this challenging time, to summon our inner strength, to lean on family and on friends, and to do tikkun olam. That is such a powerful story, how Sandy Greenberg overcame his blindness, if you will, and lived a beautiful, productive, fulfilling life. Um, oh, he's still alive, by the way. I mean, I don't mean to—I don't mean to make it sound like he's dead. He's still very much alive. This guy, Sandy Greenberg. Jewish tradition does have an interesting take on blindness, and I'll just share a couple of ideas. Every morning, during prayer, a Jewish person says a series of blessings, and one of them is that we thank God for giving sight to the blind for opening our eyes in hebrew it is pokeach ivrim now what does that mean i've always thought that that blessing doesn't only mean physically opening our eyes so we can physically see the world i also think we thank god for opening our eyes in a broad in a more broad sense we thank god for opening our eyes to the beauty of the world so that we can truly appreciate Everything that we have, we thank God for opening our eyes to the challenges in the world so that we will act to make this world a better place. We thank God for opening our eyes to our loved ones, to the people around us who do so much for us so that we will be grateful for them. Uh, and for everyone who helps us every day, every single day. If we don't see all of that, if we don't see all of that goodness, if we don't see the challenges and then do something about it, then in a way we really are blind. And God is the one who opens our eyes so that we won't be blind um, in that way. Another thought from our tradition is that there is a mitzvah commandment that commands us to not put a stumbling block before the blind. Now, I also don't I also think there's more to this than meets the eye, no pun intended. It's not just physically don't put something in front of a blind person so that he or she would trip over it. It also says that you're not supposed to try and trick someone. In other words, if you have more knowledge than another person on a given situation in a way that person is blind to that knowledge and don't put a stumbling block before the blind person also means you are not allowed to take advantage of that person. They are vulnerable in the sense they are blind to, in that they don't have the same knowledge as you. So those are two really, I think, profound thoughts about blindness in our tradition. That's all for today. Everybody, we'll see you next time. Peace out.